We have been in this series right now called Cross Reference. And what we're doing is we're looking at the last words of Jesus as he hung on the cross. Those famous last words. What did he say to the people that were gathered there? And what does it mean? What did it mean for them who were gathered? And what does it mean to us today when we look back and as we read those final words of Jesus? And we've been kind of using this series as we walk towards, as we journey towards Easter Sunday. And if you missed any of those messages, you can catch up on the Ridge app. But the first words from the cross that we focused on were the words of forgiveness. When Jesus actually looks at everybody that's standing around, the people that were killing him, and he says, Father, forgive them, but they don't know what they were doing. The second words from the cross dealt with salvation. And we looked at how we can have the assurance of our salvation and how that assurance that we receive from God, how it frees us up to live into God's purpose. And then last week, we called, uh, we looked, not last week, two weeks ago, we looked at words of love. Words that Jesus spoke to his mother and his best friend, John, just before he dies. And what I said in those moments is like, it's crazy to think that Jesus is dying and yet he is still caring and still loving the people around him. And then last weekend's um, message was pretty powerful. We talked through the deadly effects of sin on our life and how Jesus became our substitution. How he paid our penalty, he died in our place so that we have an opportunity to be with God for eternity. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at some words um, that really characterize Jesus' humanity. Okay, again, we're going to look at a very peculiar phrase. One that you're like, oh, I'm not even sure how you build a whole sermon around this, right? But it's, and I kind of wonder that, how do you build a sermon around this? Um, here's the words we're going to be looking at today. Here's, the phrase is, I thirst. So let's just start with the eyes. Everybody knows what it's like to be thirsty, to be really thirsty. And we know how important it is to be hydrated. You can't live without water. You certainly don't function well without it. When you're dehydrated, maybe you get muscle cramps, you get fatigue. True fact, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. Um, does anybody else get headaches when they're dehydrated? Yes. Okay, so I learned a while back, man, when I'm doing anything, i got to drink a lot of water. And somebody actually had to pull me aside and say, Jimmy, coffee doesn't count. They're like, are you drinking enough water? I'm like, yes, I've had five cups of coffee today. They're like, that does not count. That actually dehydrates you, which doesn't make any sense. It's a lip anyway. I don't know. I just know that you need water, right? You need water to survive. And I remember early on, when I was a kid, I remember my dad teaching on this subject. We're looking at today. And he talked about a time when he was mowing the grass. And he started, he says, you know, I, I, I like... I like lots of things. He says, you know, he was from the north. He moved down south, and he was like, man, I love sweet tea. I just love drinking some sweet tea. And he's like, I love coffee. He says, but when I'm really thirsty, I just want a glass of water, a nice, refreshing, ice-cold water. And so he, he continues telling the story about mowing the grass and how I was outside, and I was doing, you know, just climbing trees or rolling around the dirt, whatever little boys do at that time. And he was so thirsty, he asked me, Jimmy, could you go give me a glass of water? So I ran inside. I was very eager to do something for Dad. And when I brought him this glass, it was a tall glass, I brought it to him like this, with my fingers inside of it, running to him, and the water just sloshing back and forth and just working all the dirt off of my fingers. It was a clear glass, and by the time it made it to Dad, it was nice and brown. And he just kind of looked at it, and he looked at me, and I had this big smile on my face, like I was happy to help. 
and Dad drank it. And he said he drank it for two reasons. He said, one, because he just didn't want to disappoint me, and two, because he was that thirsty. Right? And some of you, you know what that's like. You've been in that situation. I'm sure we all have. Well, we are so thirsty, we would just about drink anything. We would take anything. And Jesus, and the story that we're going to look at today, he gets to this point on the cross where he is desperate for a drink of water. Now, with that in mind, this sermon is going to be a little bit different this morning than the previous ones because we're going to move between two stories. Okay, two different times that Jesus was thirsty. Now, if you had your Bibles today, if, you know, if we were still in a time where people brought Bibles, I know people don't bring Bibles anymore because y'all have them on your phone, I would say to put your finger in John chapter 19, and then we're going to look at a story in John chapter 4. Okay, I'd tell you to mark both of those. If you got your Bibles open on your phone and you want to toggle back and forth between the two, we're going to be in John 19, and then we're going to go back to John chapter 4 as well. And you can write those down if you want to go back and revisit them later on this afternoon. But again, the reason that we're going to look at two stories today is because they both tell the time when Jesus was thirsty. And I'm going to use those stories to teach us why this phrase is so important. So with that being said, let's start where we've been working through during this series. Let's start at the cross in John chapter 19. So here's what it says in John chapter 19. It says, Later, knowing that everything had now had been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Now this is very interesting. The guards actually offered Jesus something to drink. They offered him a cup of wine vinegar mixed with myrrh. Now you remember, uh, you may remember myrrh. Myrrh was one of those gifts that the three wise men brought to Jesus when he was born, right? But the reason that they offered this drink to Jesus in this moment, because it, it's kind of a concoction that was kind of a uh, painkiller, okay? It was kind of like an anesthetic. And, and before you start to think that these guys actually had a heart for Jesus, it's most likely they offered this to him mainly to help with the pain. Okay, because these executioners were going to be the ones that had to listen to the cries and the yells of these people that were dying on the cross. And if you remember last week, it says that Jesus screamed out those words. My father, why have you forsaken me? Remember that? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, right? So we have these moments where Jesus is screaming out in pain. And these soldiers knew that that would kind of died down somewhat if the people were drugged up a little bit. But something interesting happened. When, when they offered Jesus a drink the first time, the Gospel of Matthew said that he refused. Now, why did he turn it down? Um, from a human perspective, maybe it's because he wanted full control of his thoughts as he spoke, as he endured these last moments. And maybe from a godly perspective, um, he was meant to bear the full weight, the full burden, the full pain of our sins on the cross. So that first time he refused, but this moment, this moment, in the Gospel of John, you'll notice that it says that after everything had been accomplished, when it was near the end, he asked for a drink. Now, like I said, this isn't the only story where Jesus asked for a drink. Not the only important story where Jesus asked for a drink. 
But we're going to move now back to John chapter 4. We're going to go to the beginning of the book of John. And if you think real hard, I bet you know the story that I'm about to tell, because I love this story. And I use this story often. I've talked about this just a couple of months, uh, months back, actually. I referenced it then, but I want to share it again. Because it fits so perfectly with what we're going to talk about. So let's go to John chapter 4, and let's go to the woman at the well. John chapter 4 says this. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw her water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now, if you remember this story, anytime I preach from this, I always say, you know, this, this scripture says that at the beginning of the day, he had to go through Samaria. Nobody has to go through Samaria. This was a place that the Jews didn't feel like they had to travel through. In fact, it was a place to avoid. It was a place to go around. I feel the same way when I'm traveling down I-75 and I get near Gainesville. Because <laughs> Florida Gators... Nobody, or going through Alabama and you get to Tuscaloosa, right? Nobody, <laughs> nobody should have to go through those areas. Anyway, you don't have to go through this area. Jesus did. And the Jews despised the Samaritans. Samaritans and Samaritans despised the Jews. But Jesus had to go. And I'm sure it frustrated the mess out of his disciples. But now we know that Jesus had a reason. The reason was to accomplish God's purpose. So on the way, he stops at a well. And he asks this woman for a drink. So here, what we have is we have two stories. One at the beginning of John, one at the end of John. Two stories where Jesus is thirsty. And I'll share with you why that's important. It's important. What, what do we learn from this? Number one, we learn that Jesus was human. Okay? Jesus was human. Let's go back to the cross. Don't forget Jesus' humanity as he hung on that cross. Now, it's very hard for us to understand, and I talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago, how someone can be both fully God and yet fully human at the same time. But I am thirsty proves to us that in this moment, that God became just like you. That he became just like me. And in John chapter 4, when Jesus gets to the well, it says that he was tired from the walk. In fact, other translations say that he sat down wearily by the well. What does that mean? I'm sure that means that when he got to the well, he just kind of sat and kind of clocked down. He's like, whew. He's tired. And he sees this woman. And I'm sure he looked up to God, his father, and was like, thank you. I'm thirsty. Now, the reason I bring this up is because sometimes when we think about Jesus, we forget about his humanity sometimes. So we think he kind of floated around wherever he went, or he wore this cape, or when he talked, he talked like Charlton Testament, right? But really, he's just like us. He was exhausted, and he's tired. You know, when I was thinking about the incarnation, and that's a fancy church word that we went over a couple of weeks back. That's, that, that's the that's the word that we use to describe God becoming a human. I often think about that show that came on a while back called, called Undercover Boss. Have y'all, has anybody heard, heard of Undercover Boss? Okay, so some of y'all have seen that. Um, in case you don't know, 
It's where the boss of the big corporation decides to disguise himself or herself and become an employee for a few days and work alongside everybody. So they wear these elaborate disguises. And they work for a little while. Nobody notices who they are or what their title really is. And then there's this big reveal at the end where they're like, hey, everybody, I'm really your boss. And everybody's quiet. <laughs> and they all kind of got these big eyes and they're all wondering what they said. I always wondered after the show was over how many got pink slips, right? What did I say? But at any moment in that time, the man and the woman that was the boss is still the CEO of the company. And they had all the rights, all the privileges to go along with that. At any moment, they could have picked that back up. But for that period of time, they chose to become one of the employees. Now, it's really hard for us to understand how God becomes fully human, like us. Right? And this illustration doesn't always hold up, but maybe it helps us catch a little bit of a glimpse of it. Because Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says it this way. It says, when the time had come, he, being Jesus, he set aside the privileges of deity, and he took on the status of a slave and became human. He set it aside for your sake, for my sake. He became I'm reminded of another story of a time when soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden. And when they went to grab Jesus, Peter did something that surprised everybody. I think Peter actually even surprised Peter himself. He grabbed one of the soldiers' swords, swung it through the, uh, swung it through the air, and chopped off one of the guards' ears. And I'm sure everybody is standing around like, what just happened? John probably looked at Peter and was like, you're a horrible shot. You missed. Now they're just going to be mad. But Jesus, in this moment, he reaches down and he picks up the ear. And he heals this guy. And he looks at Peter and he says, this is not. This is not what we're here for. And that story kind of illustrates just how scared the disciples were in this moment. Scared for Jesus. Scared for themselves. And at any moment, any moment Jesus could have laid hold to his power. Scripture actually said he could have called a legion of angels at any time. He could have gone all Captain America on everybody there. But yet for your sake, for my sake, he did. And he was here. Why become human? Well, there are many reasons. And one of the reasons to become human is so that God could show us that he understands exactly what we go through in this life. What it's like to be one of us. But also the main reason that he took on mortality was to bear the weight of our sins. A weight that was too heavy for you. Too heavy for you. So that statement, I thirst, it reminds us that Jesus wasn't just some type of spirit. He wasn't just some type of illusion, but that God actually became just like us. And that leads me to the next point. And for the next point, we're going to, do is we're going to go back to the well. The second thing we learn from this phrase, I thirst, is that Jesus is love. Jesus is love. And the reason I say 
this is because Jesus is willing to talk to, and he asked this lady for a drink when nobody else would. When nobody else would talk to this woman. And let me tell you why. There's a couple of faux pas. Number one, Jesus is Samaritan. We already talked about that. Jews would go around. They wouldn't go through to avoid these people, right? Number two, she's a woman. Leaders at that time, teachers at that time, didn't teach women. Uh, number three, she doesn't have the best reputation. If you notice, she's going to the well at Sychar. And she's going at noon. And let me just say, there's closer wells to her area than this one, okay? She's going way out of her way. And she's going during the hottest point of the day. And you know why she's doing that? She's doing that to avoid everybody. She's doing that because if she goes at the normal time to the normal well where everybody else goes, they wouldn't talk to her, they would talk about her. And we know what that can be like. So when Jesus asks for a drink, in a way... What he's doing is he's showing he's showing that he cares for. He's showing that he loves everyone. Because I'll tell you this, most people in that area at that time would rather go without than have a conversation with her. But when Jesus asks her for a drink, when Jesus is willing to talk to her, he shows that he is willing to extend his love to everyone. And in a similar way on the cross, when he's on the cross and he's dying, he is showing his love for you and for me. Jesus shows us that he's willing to suffer. He's willing to thirst for us so we might be able to go to heaven. Remember now, Jesus has done nothing wrong. He is the perfect son of God and yet they're killing him. Why? He died. He went through all of this. He was willing to be thirsty in this moment because he loves you. Romans 5, 8 says this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, even with everything we've done, Christ still died. Y'all, make no mistake about it. The nails didn't hold him to the cross. The soldiers didn't keep him there. Caesar had no power to order his death. What held him to the cross and what took him to the cross that day was his love for you. Even with everything we've done wrong. Even with everything this Samaritan woman had done wrong, Jesus still loved her. And he still loves us. So when he thirsts, he is showing his love. Now for the next point, let's go back to the well again. Jesus has this point where he tells her, where they're having this conversation, and he begins talking about living water. And he's like, you know what? If you if you would just ask me, I would tell you how to not just get why you wouldn't have to come to the well every day to find your satisfaction, but I, I could tell you how to be permanently satisfied in life. And he starts talking about living water, which we'll get to in just a, a minute. But what's really amazing in this moment is that Jesus begins to unpack who he is with this seemingly unknown person. With someone no one else would talk to, Jesus tells her everything. In fact, he shows that he's the fulfillment of prophecy. Point number three is this. When Jesus says he thirsts, he fulfills prophecy. So at the well, he shows how he can fulfill prophecy. When he asks her, he says, go get your husband and 
know, she looks at Jesus and she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus replies back. He's like, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the one that you're living with right now, which we both know isn't what God really wants, he's not really your husband either. And there's this moment where I'm sure if you were standing around hearing this conversation, you would have been like, Awkward. And in this conversation, he leads her through this. And for the first time in the book of John, Jesus chooses this moment to reveal that he is the Messiah. That he is the Son of God. The story at the well shows us that Jesus understands that he is fulfilling Messianic prophecy. But at the cross, at the cross, it's also a fulfillment of prophecy. And let me tell you why. Let's go back to the cross. When Jesus hung on that cross and he asks for a drink, this was one of the prophecies of the Messiah. It said this. It says, so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Let's unpack this. What is that even talking about? What does that even mean? Well, for thousands of years, people have been waiting for the Messiah. They've been longing for the Messiah. And God loved his people so much that he gave them hints. And he's like, this is how you're going to know. And this is what he's going to do. And this is what it's going to be like. And one by one, Jesus begins to fulfill them all. Let me share some of those prophecies and what they were. One of them was that he would be born in Bethlehem. Check. That's a hard thing to control when you really think about where you're going to be born, right? That he would be born a virgin, even more difficult to control, I think, that we would all agree that this is impossible, and yet it happened. There was also a prophecy that there was going to be a messenger that would prepare everyone for his arrival. We know that that was John the Baptist. It also says the Messiah would be portrayed, and we know that this was Judas, that he would be killed with criminals. We know this from a couple of weeks Back, we talked about the two thieves that were on either side of Jesus while he hung on the cross. It said that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. It's kind of hard to fulfill prophecies after you're dead, and yet Jesus keeps fulfilling these prophecies. God used Joseph of Arimathea for this one. And then in Psalm 69, 21, and these are just a few of them, y'all. Just Psalm 69, 21. This is crazy. It prophesied that the Messiah would be thirsty and would be given vinegar to drink. It's crazy to think that it specified exactly what type of drink the Messiah would receive. So I am thirsty actually fulfills biblical prophecy. And then, as if that's not enough, check this out. All you Bible nerds out here, you're going to love this, okay? God coordinated so that even how they gave him a drink proved that he was a and later on, when you go back and you read John chapter 19, what you'll find out is that they took a sponge and they put it on that hyssop branch, and then they lifted that hyssop branch up to Jesus' mouth so that he could get a drink. Okay, so this is fascinating here, but in order for me to explain why this is so important and how this branch even plays a part in Messianic prophecy, i got to tell you another story. Okay, so I don't want to lose you here, so um, look to your neighbor and say, pay attention, preacher's about to go down the rabbit trail. Okay, and tell them. Okay, wake them up if they're asleep. Okay, all right? Everybody stay with me. i got to tell you another story, okay? You remember that story of how God rescued the Israelites from Pharaoh. You remember that? God sent Moses. Moses went to Pharaoh, said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, oh, no. And Moses was like, oh, sure. You know, so anyway, 
And he didn't let him go. And Moses was like, that's a bad move, man, because God's going to send all these plagues. And so God began sending all these plagues. And then the last plague that God sent was an angel of death through Egypt to kill the firstborn living thing. And the way that God provided for the Israelites to be saved from this was he told them that I want you to sacrifice a lamb. That lamb would pay the penalty of the death that would have occurred in the, in the home. So you see the resemblance here of sacrificial lamb, what Jesus came to do. So a lamb is going to be sacrificed instead of someone paying the sacrifice within the home. He said, then I want you to take a hyssop branch and I want you to dip it in the blood. And then I want you to take that hyssop branch and with it I want you to use to swipe the blood on top of your doorframe. So when the angel of death comes and they, he sees that blood on the doorframe, he will pass over that home. And no one will die. And this is where the term Passover comes from. So ever since then, the hyssop branch has been seen somewhat tied to the sacrificial lamb. Now, this didn't mean anything to the Romans at this time. It wouldn't have meant anything to you and me. But to everyone who knew this story, that grew up in the Jewish faith, when they saw that hyssop branch being lifted in the air, I guarantee everybody standing around was like, oh, snap. <laughs> Did you just see what happened? This branch being lifted up would have been a visual symbol to everybody standing around that Jesus is that prophesied sacrificial lamb that would die in our place. And everybody standing around, I guarantee you they got it. And they wondered about it. And some of them wondered, is this a coincidence? You know, there's talk that he would be, that the Messiah would sacrifice their sacrificial lamb. Maybe this is a sign. And it's crazy to think of how God coordinated all these things to happen. And a while back, we talked about the odds of Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies in the Old Testament. And I put up a number up here on the screen that was just too big for the screen to even hold, right? Uh, most scientists actually believe and theologians say that it takes more faith to believe that Jesus wasn't the Son of God than to actually believe that He was the Son of God. Because of everything that happened. And how it played out. So when Jesus says, I thirst, it shows that he's human, that he became human for us. It shows his love for us, what he was willing to go through. It shows that he is fulfilling prophecy, that he is that Messiah that we've been waiting for. And for the last one, for the last one, let me go back to the story of the well in John chapter 4. Because Jesus continues talking to this Samaritan woman. If you remember, I said that he, he unpacks this idea of him being living water. So I want to close with this last point. Number four, it says, Jesus satisfies our needs. Jesus satisfies our needs. As we close this morning, let me ask you, what are you really thirsty for? Because so many times in life I think that whatever's going to make me happy is going to quench my thirst in life. And when I get this way, 
And I think in these times, whatever it is, it only disappoints me. What I find is over and over and over again, what I really need and what I really want and what really quenches that thirst that I have only comes from Jesus. Nothing else fills that void in my life. We end up being thirsty for so many different things in our life. You know, we, we say things like, if I could just get married, if I could just make more money, or if I could just get a raise, or, or have a kid, that would be it. This, this would quench my thirst, and I want you to know that it won't. It won't, and it can't do it. Only Jesus fulfills the deepest longings that we have. We are a thirsty bunch of people. And you know why we're thirsty? It's because Jesus put that thirst in us. God put it there. And what we do is instead of going to the one that will fulfill that desire, what we do is we go to the well of work, or we go to the well of sex, or we go to the well of success, or we go to the well of money. And maybe instead of wasting all our times on these different wells, that never really quench us what we should be doing is being driven to the feet of Jesus. To the one who is on the cross. Maybe we need to realize that what we're really after in life and what we really need is just to be in His presence. To be filled with the flowing, living water that only comes from God. The psalmist puts it this way in the 63rd Psalm. He says this, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I love how the psalmist puts this, this land that we're in, this world that we're in that offers so much is just dry and it's wasted and all it does is parched. Yeah, I just get parts from it. Man, I just can't find the satisfaction I need and what I need and what I thirst for every bit of my being. Wants you. Wants more of you. So I just bring that up this morning. Because if you're feeling unsatisfied with your life, with what's happening right now, let me just tell you, friends, that's a spiritual thirst. And the only one that can quench that thirst is the one who said, I am thirsty. Jesus was thirsty on the cross so that you never have to be thirsty again. At the cross, we find that Jesus became thirsty so that we can be satisfied. Let's pray together, God. Maybe some of us are beginning to realize today that we've been looking at all these other things in life to give us satisfaction, to give us fulfillment. Maybe today we begin to realize that it's really you that we're thirsty for. That it's you that we truly need in this life. It's you, God, that brings us purpose. God, we thank you so much for sending Jesus to become human. God, that you actually became human and that you were willing to be thirsty and that you were willing to die on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. God, we thank you that you love us that much. And no matter what we've done, no matter what well we've gone to in the past or how many times we've gone to that well, God, we thank you that you are the fulfillment of God's beautiful plan. 
to redeem and save this world, to redeem and save each one of us. So God, we open up our lives totally to you. And Jesus, we ask you to fill us. God, may we just be that empty vessel that we just pour ourselves out so that we can fill up our lives with you. God, would you just fill us so much with your love that we're not thirsty anymore. And God, remind us to come to you again and again and again to be refilled and renewed by your living water. God, your grace is unending. And we thank you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.